I'm telling you, man, I was fucked up, but like she you're was caught, so, you, you actually made yourself bleed. I grenaded myself. <laughs> That's like the first recorded sin in the Holy Bible was the desire to have something that somebody else wants. I believe the real sin is that Eve was not given a bar of soap. That, that is original sin, baby. I mean, can we, can we get a little Irish spring down here, big guy? Thanks. A little Irish spring bar wouldn't kill you. Excellent. Audience, hello, allies, allies, everybody in between. Am I missing anybody? Jesus Christ. Which Jesus Christ is an appropriate name for purposes of this segment. Welcome to A W W W Angel Wing Whiskey Wednesday with Wham Bam Camp, where we pour whiskey, sip, and let truths out our mouths riskily slip while we unearth and resolve the world's woes. Here. We legit shit heavenly father fucking heavily drink, deeply think, and find between worldwide grief and vast relief a link. It's no easy feat to these worldly worries defeat, but together, Wham Bam Cam and Falsetto slay and fillet dumbass concerns you may sometimes find yourself plagued with. Imbibe with us the cool, calming confection, the unholy spirit water. There was a time, dear listeners, when people gesticulated, as though possessed, towards the sky, screamed, hulked out, and their eyes leaked dry during a lengthy, wailing cry. It was assumed they were possessed by evil entities. Knowledge, progress, and the scientific fucking method have clued we contemporary flesh forms into the unassailable fact that some provocative phenomena can be studied, measured, and articulated. We ask you, audience. Do we have divine free will? Is it some delayed part of the devil's deal? Or have we all swallowed some surreal red pill? Yeah, I'm the Matrix style, you know what I mean? I consider myself holistically unholy. Wham Bam Cam is the mighty hockey stick to my goalie. And we both love the ever-loving shit out of ravioli. We are the podcasters, audience of devilish divinity. We are but a duo, not some otherworldly trinity. And remember, audience. Wham Bam Cam loves Serenity, the film based on Firefly, the TV series. Unwind with Wham Bam Cam and me, that sobering, devout daily grind with a non-denominational comrade in your cocktail of choice. Relax, sip slow, and allow into your ears these chemo session wavelengths to flow. I don't know about the man upstairs, but I do know that if you want to learn more of The Basement Party, we'll gladly usher you downstairs. Cheers, audience. Falsetto, and Wham Bam Cam. How you doing, man? It's uh, it's it's getting close to that big day. Yes. That somebody, nobody refutes that somebody was born, but everybody refutes what that meant and what he ultimately would go on to do. Absolutely. So, it is a day of contention. I really want to know. The audience wants to know. The allies definitely want to know. What does Christmas usually entail for you and your family? What do you do? What do you eat? Do you wear costumes? Do you role play? Like exactly, exactly. What is it? What takes place on the day, assuming that you're not working or something? Well, luckily, even in my past blue collar job and and then to this job, both businesses are closed on the day, thankfully. But typically, wake up Christmas morning. Typically, always at my parents' house. Start off the day opening the stockings. Go through the stockings. That lets the 
adults, even as a child, that lets the adults get their coffee and get woke up. And when I was on an adult, I understand getting the caffeine fixed before we even get the get the day going. Go to the stockings. Uh, my family had a tradition of a scavenger hunt for like your big gift for that year, and it all started with, and it would show up in one of the kids' stockings. So either my sister, uh, me, my wife, any any of us could get the the first clue. Uh, it was always written on a note card. And it's actually funny. You don't know this about me. This is crazy. Um, my dad actually did all of that. Uh, my dad would write these well-articulated... I'll have to find some of them. We, we kept them. My dad was a little bit of a poet himself. He would very much like some of the wordplay he would use uh, to give us these very obscure clues. It could be anywhere on the property. Uh, I grew up on about an acre. And so it didn't. It could be inside, outside. It didn't matter if it was raining, cold, snow, whatever. You, you bucked up and you did it. Get all these clues and go through 10, 11, 12 of them, just depending on how much energy he had, I guess, and ultimately leading to your big gift, you know? I remember one year, like, they ended up being, like, in the dryer, you know, like, and so we had to, like, pull them out of the dryer, or they were in the big shed out in the out in the property line. It's just interesting. That was always fun. That's a big tradition. We're still doing that tradition, even with him not here. Um, so that's, we're pretty proud to kind of continue that. It's fun. And then we go through the gifts, and the, and the way my family does it is it's always youngest to oldest one at a time and we take turns so like you know one present everybody's watching try to go by family by family and what i mean by that is so like we have family all across the nation so like my family in minnesota let's go through those the gifts they sent us first and what that does is because we're very much about remembering to take the time to thank people discuss being thankful for folks before that allows us to be able to write down what gifts came from whom uh, so that we can do you know thank you calls emails letters whatever we go around the room to write gifts there's typically some sort of a breakfast, sip is standard, bacon, eggs, whatever. And then dinner, typically done at my grandma's house. Pack up a few things, get like her gifts and stuff, meet the cousins or whoever's going over that year. We have dinner at grandma's house and it's either an, another turkey carried over from Thanksgiving. Uh, back when I worked at Habitual Offender, since me and my dad worked there, we would each get free turkeys every year. And so we do one for Thanksgiving, one for Christmas. But there's always a ham or something. We did, we've done brisket before. You know, it's Texas. Why not? Another traditional holiday-style meal, but the thing the thing that's different for Christmas is my family goes all out on the desserts. There is there's fudge, baklava, uh, Russian wedding cakes, just everything from all of our cultures, uh, from from German and Czech. All these recipes that are like on these note cards from old boxes, and we just go to town. It's a diabetic coma fest uh, is what happens later in the day. Is there any German um, chocolate cake in there? No, that's the fudge. Fudge recipe is my mom's mom and, and her dad. They actually had a, they owned a candy store, a chocolate store. She was growing up in California. And so they had a candy store. It's actually their recipe. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. She was, my mom was sending me pictures earlier this week. She actually sent me some of the, uh, of the baklava she just made like 30 minutes before I got on with you here. And I was just like, oh man, I'm going to, I'm going to go into a coma shock this week. <laughs> Well, audience, that is your mouth-watering preface to Seventh Wednesday, Whiskey Wednesdays with Wham Bam Cam, Whiskey to the Kingdom. Now, I'm starving on account of your little story there, and I can think of a few areas of overlap. I remember getting a Marlin 22 rifle from my dad when I was young, and he wrote a makeshift map. I had a compass, he gave me a compass, and he gave me some directions, and I had to find it in the backyard buried. I also found our neighbor buried. That was weird. Now that I think about it, I think the 22 was actually using a homicide, and now my fingerprints are all over it. That's it was, not the same 22 you gave me last year, is it? No, no, no. That's, <laughs> that's, the, one I got, that's the one I got from Ricky. Right? Oh, God. oh, Ricky, yeah. Ricky, Ricky Tiki. It's a real small family, so it was unusual for me to see anyone other than my parents. When I was really young, my half-sisters would come over, which I did enjoy. My 
Sister Simone would bring over a guy, his name was Anthony, he was gay. He was like one of those Neil Patrick Harris manicures and stuff. We played badminton because someone got a badminton set. I like to call it poppycock because that just sounds so much more fucking ridiculous. But yeah, poppycock or badminton. We played that in the backyard one year. That was a lifetime ago. And then there would be, a, occasionally we would go out to um, the hill country in Texas to visit my grandmother when she was still alive and aunt and sometimes cousin. Definitely did some maps and some scavenger hunts to get gifts. Oh, also, I opened my stocking last. That was like the flavor saver after a good Christmas meal was a stocking. I never started with the stocking. Uh, I don't know why. Maybe I should have flipped that yeah. script and done it that way. I guess I was afraid that if I took my eyes off the presents, whereas Santa delivered the presents, some like Nanta would come and steal the presents if he didn't open them fast enough or some shit. Nanta. Nanta. The Grinch? There's only a character that does that. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, but the, the Grinch just looks like someone you could just flick the back of his ear off or something, you know? Like, you could just pull his pants down and he'd get scared. His face would blush even though he's green and he'd run away. This, not, not, not Jim Carrey's Grinch, man. I don't <laughs> think so. I'm more scared of Jim Carrey than I am his characters. That's fair. He's terrifying. Remember, because I think like in that movie where he was with Matthew Broderick, I think he was just playing himself. Yeah, basically. What, what was that movie called? The Cable Guy. Yeah, yeah. Cable Guy. Yeah. Such oh, a good one. It makes me want to go to a place you've probably been medieval times uh, oh, yeah. in Dallas. I want to go there so bad. Now it is time for the, I think it's Wayne Man King's favorite segment of the show. But who knows? Who really? Who can? Who knows what evil lurks in the minds of? Wham Bam Cam and Falsetto. But War of the Poor. Yeah, yeah. War of the Poor. Maybe I should do it in a different accent every time. Like a German, like, War of the Poor. Jim Beam is my drink of choice from the emergency mini bar stock selection from my man cave mini fridge. I do not have anything in the campers, so I'm resorting to my apocalyptic break glass in case of emergency whiskey. And it is Jim Beam Black Extra Aged. I like my coffee like I like my Kentucky bourbon. Old Black. And all I can tell you about it really is that it's from Kentucky, and it is a short and simple aftertaste of vanilla, toffee, and wood spice. This bourbon has a dash of kick, but not much sting. That is all. I think it's interesting how we both had to pull into private stock at this point. As it's this, the roads, man. You're taking your life in your hands. It's this massive Arctic blast that's coming through a PTSD from just a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. It's also, you know, it's a few days before the holiday, and like I already know prices are up, so I was just like, "Spirit, I know I got a bottle of Jack Daniels at the house that I haven't opened yet. Just crack that up." So it's just generic Jack Daniels, a little smooth Tennessee whiskey. You know, I'm always going to have some sort of a story. Mm-hmm. Either the so, glass or the ice cubes. It was made by a medicine doctor in Calcutta, and he put in some herbal remedies that basically allow you to live Ra's al Ghul, but instead of the Lazarus pit, you drink it. So you drink it, Lazarus. Yeah. Pit, you drink it, Lazarus pit pee. Probably yeah, that is all wrong. All of it? Even Calcutta? Even Calcutta. Now, my bro, old Willie, our number one Whiskey Wednesday fan, more than likely, he had just listened to my Lesson 6 on Audible Ally about the semicolon. He's made me a few things over the course of my time. Knowing he, he makes pens. He's made me a chess set. Uh, just things like that. Shout out to him. Just two days ago, he, he was getting caught up. He had a little bit of backlog. But he got caught up, and he made me a tumbler. And let me turn it so you can see it, but and I'll describe it as best I can for the allies. Um, but I talked about Jason David Frank in uh, Lesson 6 uh, and how he unfortunately took his own life. So he made me this cup. It is green for his first character he played as the Green Ranger. It says, my story isn't over. And there's a couple of symbols on each side. One is the power coins from the Power Rangers and then the Power Rangers lightning bolt, which creates a semicolon on the cup. Yes, it does. Um, yes, it and does. It's freaking fantastic. He also put on this side, he put all the other symbols that he had, he had played in the show. But 
he dipped this and, and made this cup for me and presented it to me the other day. I was like, oh, so we're going to start off Monday with me crying. He's like, that's absolutely why I got this for you. It was just it's a super sweet gesture. I'll be damned all the other cups I own at this point. Um, like, it's the only cup. I'm going to be like Sai from D- Dynasty. Like, this is the only cup I'm carrying around with me from now on. But shout out to you, O Willie. Like, seriously, you, you're very dedicated, listening to a lot of everything that Falsetto or myself put out. And so appreciate you, man, and appreciate that gift. It's a beautiful, beautiful gesture. So thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. So all these other gifts that Wham Bam may get for Christmas or possibly has already gotten are going to pale in comparison. So thank you for that creativity <laughs> that you exhibited, thus washing us all in a sea of shit. To get something like that, what do you even say, you know? Like you just... I, he'll tell you, I was, I was kind of speechless at the beginning. Man. Uh, I, re- I really was. I, I literally looked him in the face and I went, I'm not going to cry in front of you. And I, I had to walk out of the room. <laughs> it was just a beautiful gift. So. That real, that, yeah, and that, that's cool. And it's also cool, like even if you didn't know the backstory, like to just get that, it's like, it's cool looking. Yeah. And it holds what, at least like 30 ounces, maybe 32 ounces? Yeah, this is, yeah, this is, like, it's somewhere between 28 and 30 ish because it's, it's hefty. It's a little bit bigger than my normal tumblers that I have. So it can also be used as a weapon. Bam. It's, it's, it's hefty. That's good. <laughs> you can even almost consider that like a, like a miracle gift, as it were. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that brings us to this particular number seven. Now, I know, of course, seven. I mean, it really, there should have been a seven deadly sins. Like, how many sins have you committed in the last 15 fucking minutes, Wham Bam? Mm-hmm. But, because there's Christmas around the corner. Now, I'm going to keep doing these episodes as long as I can come up with something clever that attaches to whiskey. Okay, so whiskey to the kingdom. You hear the expression keys to the kingdom. So that brings us to the tale of the title. And keys to the kingdom definition. But it is a resource, usually information or knowledge, the possession of which gives the possessor access to power. So think about, like, Zelda, right? That's a classic tale of you have the power, you have the knowledge. Okay. Now you can rescue the princess. Well, maybe that's Mario Brothers. I don't know. The point is, there's always a fucking princess. You were better with Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> now, the origin... See, I didn't know this, actually, until not too long ago. But I didn't realize... Because I, th- I always thought it was like you're giving somebody... Like the mayor gives the key to the you know the castle, or you're giving the skeleton key to the city, or whatever. Yeah. I always looked at it as you were given something tangible that they would unlock all these doors for you. But the origin is actually biblical, and it is dealing with an actual kingdom under the rulership of a king. And so, coming from the King James Bible, from Matthew, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So, we've gone from the tangible definition to the intangible. And the keys of the kingdom, sometimes called the keys to the kingdom, represent the authority to open the way for people to enter into the kingdom of God. This is from a different version of the Bible, but it's also Matthew. Now, it would have been cooler if it was like, say, Lazarus. (laughs) But no, he has no place in this particular story. Because I figured Lazarus, Lazarus Pit, I'm trying to make it a whole thing. Maybe if I can come up with a third way to drop it in there. Like, hey, have you talked to your I'm friend sure you will. Lazarus? <laughs> hey, remember your first dog? Everyone said you should name it Lassie, but you went with Lassie. And... Anyways. Now, it's also a film, a 1944 American film based on the novel The Keys of the Kingdom, but that has nothing to do with what you're talking about. I just wanted to cover all of my fucking bases. When you, when bam, think about Keys of the Kingdom, can you think of something that you've been gifted in life that has opened your eyes to something else. And the thing that you were given was far less important than what the ultimate realization was that came from it. Can you think of a time, whether at work or in your personal life, where something happened or something was given to you and you suddenly had a revelation of sorts or an epiphany, maybe? Truth. On the spot like that, no. Not that I can think of. <laughs> My most... And I know you're, you wanted to tease at some point, but my most recent Audible ally will kind of go into that a little. I, I, I don't want really to talk about gift per se. I guess I do. 
was very selfish about gifts at Christmas until very recently. Gifts were cool and great and all that. And now at this point, I'd rather have the person. If that ah, makes sense. So. so should I take back the gifts and I just give you me? Now, is Absolutely. There, is, is there a timeline on this? You give me for three days or three hours or something uh, Depends on what the, the current transaction rate is. Oh, infinity squared. <laughs> Done. <laughs> now, attention, audience. This is your plug. This is your unanticipated plug. Wham Bam Cam has just released today. Lesson eight, finding the value. Listen to it and, before you listen, read the introductory notes. Because for those of us, I'm not going to name any names, also a profit, Wham Bam Cam, and the rest of us who put in, <laughs> take the time to write up a fucking introduction, you can read it. Because I guarantee it will take you less time to read it than it took us to compose it. So, yeah, absolutely. I will be listening to that on the open road when I travel to see some in-laws. Very soon. Yeah, I like listening in the car because it comes through the speaker. It's got a good sound quality and you're doing something. So, you're not just sitting there enjoying it. You're, you're actually like yeah. kind of letting your mind wander. Yeah. And into an un- oncoming 18-wheeler, baby. Uh-huh. Is that 18-wheeler on the slide? Does it say... Lazarus Incorporated. You're you're reaching. You're reaching. <laughs> oh, I am. God damn it. God, man, that, was you're that was forced. That was forced. You know what that was forced like? That was forced like that Ocean's like eighty one movie or whatever that came out with all the chicks. Like that's how that's how forced that was. Like, are you fucking kidding me? If it doesn't have Brad Pitt as Rusty, I'm not interested. Yeah, absolutely. Now, that dude is always eating in those movies, and it's hilarious. Okay, so I'll just tell you right now that I I struggle with not only religion like as an, in an organized format, but I struggle with the concept of spirituality. I wouldn't say I'm like a diehard scientist or anything, because that's usually where you see the dichotomy, is you have a person of science, and then you have a person of faith. And by definition, they're at odds, but they're not mutually exclusive. I mean, there are a lot of scientists that are also very devout in their faith. But for me, I mean, it started when I was young, man. Like, I never stood a chance. Part of some youth groups in my local church, which was not a denominational church. It wasn't fire and brimstone, like Baptist or anything. But I was kicked out of like three youth groups, man. I'm just trying to be funny, like trying to lighten up the serious tone. I got kicked out. Boom. And I'm like, wait a second, aren't you motherfuckers supposed to be about forgiveness and shit? I'm like, what the fuck is this? Well, got kicked out again. What do you know? It was coupled with the fact that I was young, so I had a lot of learning to do. But I was also in the company of these, I'd call them zealots, that I had the displeasure of meeting along the way. And a societal, the fraternal, familial pressure that I felt to adhere drove me further and further on the ground. Because no matter where I looked, I always, I always felt like I was being judged and that whatever decision I made was the wrong one if I didn't just succumb to what I was being asked to. All of these added up to a secular fucking solution to a biblical equation. From the time that I was young on, it's been a struggle for me. And um, I can tell you that more often than not, when I meet somebody, that within two or three visits of meeting them and getting to know them, they start casting judgment, or I feel like they're casting judgment, or they're trying to convert me. I have a visceral reaction to it, and it's not like a positive one. It's not like, I was just waiting for somebody to explain it to me that way. Yeah. That hasn't happened. So for me, there's there's kind of a distance between me and the idea of things that can't be documented or measured or things that require solely a faith approach. So that's kind of where I'm at. Um, I try to go to church sometimes to make Red Devil happy because I know that she's into that kind of thing. I, I am interested in some of the stories. And there's a lot of history there. I mean, just, just from a historical perspective, it's fascinating. The thing that's always mind-blowing to me is You'll be hearing these fantastic tales. You'll be hearing about, you know, 40 days of rain. You'll be hearing about resurrections. And you'll be hearing about people who lived 900 years and, you know, the miracles that were performed. You hear about these things. And when I say, for example, well, I have learned a lot about Greek mythology, but you think that's fantastical and fantasy. You don't think that's the real world. So how is it that you can dismiss Greek or Roman mythology? Like, that's not, that's just stories. But then what you're talking about is, you know, the gospel. And that's where I struggle because, for example, that to me is a blatant contradiction. 
I just know what I know, but I would I like to learn more. So I have been trying to read books to try to open my mind up to the idea of I guess letting more in. It doesn't come easily for me at all. Yeah, I, I got you. Like you said it in the names just a second ago, like Greek and Roman mythology, and then you have the gospel. Well, you literally just said it by definition, right? The gospel is the truth, and for the allies, that was air quotes. Mythology is myth, right? Like, it's not true. It's canon, non-canon. That's what we have going on here, right? Oh, no. We're going Star Wars. uh, Well, or anything, really. Like, So my story is vastly, vastly different. Circle back to Lesson 6 again from Audible Ally. When my grandfather first passed, or no, lucky he came back and died again, when he passed, part of some of the trying to find out how I needed to cope was my parents going, you know what, we need to get back to church. And we we did, and we went Southern Baptist. So you were talking about not denomination for you, we went fired brimstone. And, um, and boy, was it. Uh, I was scared straight. It was scary. Uh, and I mean that as the double entendre. <laughs> Man, we even to the point where, you know, we were going to the, the Baptist church that we went to in Waco. They had a, a school attached to it, too. So my sister and I started going to school there as well. And so you're around it 24 hours a day. Go to church on Sunday. Like we, were at that, we were at that building or on that property seven days a week. You just don't get away from it. It's to the point where it's almost kind of crushed into your being, intentional or not. You're just around it all the time. I think that's where the rebellion happened. Um, <laughs> man, I, I I was I was in it for a while. Don't get me wrong. And, and even you know my friends that knew me in, in high school and in college, I've I've always been religious. But my story of as a child growing up, the long story turned into a short story is my family had some odds with other families at the church. Won't go into all the details there, but my family we basically. Left. We left that church, started going to different ones, and then eventually, my family as a whole, we just stopped going to church. When I started going to my high school, a group of friends that went to a pretty small church in the small town that I eventually graduated from, and really liked it. It was a little bit different. It was a Baptist-branded church, but the youth group that we were attached to was very non-denominational. And I actually liked that a lot better. Sure. To the point where I actually was a youth leader for a while. Um, I don't think I've ever told you this. For about two or three years, I assisted, while I was in college, I assisted with uh, the, the youth group side for the high school boys. Uh, and so we, whenever we did like breakout sessions and stuff, I was the youth leader that took care of that. And I also did, this is where a lot of my audio background comes into play because I was going to college, right? So I also did the, the sound mixing for the bands for the youth group and the, all the audio stuff. And it was very, very involved. Like I, It was really a good time in my life. Um, I really had a lot of fun there, learned a lot. But when you come down to the religious aspect of it, I think it was just a, a stepping stone for me there. Very different experience. My most recent time, these last few years, we, we heard it when I had the medic on on Audible Ally. I'm sure she, I'm sure some of the things y'all will discuss once she's able to on Chemohawk. I've been a little bit struggling with some of the most recent things in my in my life, uh, and accepting those things should happen for a reason that there is this master plan. I think I've gotten better with it as time goes on. I think if I have to give an answer, I believe in some sort of a higher power. And me and you had discussions on, you know, we're both huge fans of Supernatural and, and the creatures, uh, the, the demons. I mean, you were just talking about on your first movie review cast, talking about Lucifer and, and the angels and all that. Well, you can't, in my opinion, you can't have one without the other. I definitely believe there are demons. There's a devil. All of that. 
So there has to be something on the other end, right? I don't know what that is, right? But there's some higher power out there that is on the good side of things. But I, I, I can't say I could actually say that that is the god. Who's to say it's not Odin or Zeus or Buddha? Like, it, it, there's something out there. Who's to say that these religions that are all out there, just from different perspectives, are all the same thing? Well, that would make life a lot easier if everything fit on top of each other like a nice game of Tetris, because then there wouldn't be so much animosity, and there wouldn't be so much finger-pointing, and there wouldn't be so much blaming. I've approached it from so many different angles. Man, so first of all, I believe that when I asked you the question earlier about, think of a time where you were given some like gift or token or something was given to you, and it ended up having like real epiphanous ramifications. How about the Spill Canvas song that we love? Self-conclusion. Because I remember hearing that song, and then I remember, I, I really enjoyed it, but I, I wasn't able to quite hear clearly all the lyrics. So I immediately went home to, like, you know, lyrics.com, and, 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 and whatever, the, whatever that stupid shit was called. And then uh, I, I listened to it while reading the lyrics. Having a writing background, it was just really, really impactful to see, well, to hear a song. But clearly, whoever wrote that, like, well, the singer, he has to have some sort of either writing background or he has to have a real knack for being able to condense human feelings into something that's so... There's no wasted words. It's very lean. But it's said in such a way that's so creative it would be very hard to emulate. I felt like it was a gift given to me, and I, and I got to renew that gift every time I listened to it. So that's an example of something that just a song can be a gift. It was not created simply just for you, but the fact yeah. that you're able... That's, that's what I would think could possibly play like a partial answer, if not a full yeah. answer to that. And, you know, this, to find out that you were the leader of a youth camp, if something makes sense now, all those times you try to get me to call you father, I always right. thought that you were just pretending to be Darth Vader. <laughs> and, I, just... I, and I was the loop to your Vader because I, I, like I was a gospel. Okay. Hold on. I missed a huge part of my story. <laughs> and, <laughs> and people listening that know my family are going to be like, okay, so the reason, my, the reason my family wanted, they took me to Southern Baptist when we started, is I'd actually started going to church with my grandma, who's Catholic. My night mass, um, baby. And her older brother at the time, was a father in the Catholic Church system and recently retired this last year or two uh, as a Monsignor in the Catholic Church system. <laughs> and so Catholicism has been huge in my family growing up. My family decided to be that branch that was like, eh, no, still, if you look, honestly, again, if we look at divisions of denomination and, and religion, yeah, there's variances and things, but it's all fire and brimstone. <laughs> You're damn it's right. all fire and brimstone. This is the biggest issue, and this, is, this, this doesn't just apply to religion, it applies to just about any topic under the sun. You know those people that you have had to work with in your life where they have a lot of knowledge? Like, they're brilliant. They're either brilliant, or they have uh, just a really deep, elevated understanding of whatever the work product is that you're involved in, but they're assholes, or they're condescending. Or Imagine that, right? The problem is, is that they have good intel, but you don't want to get it from them, because you don't like their delivery of it. So fuck them, you know, you'll learn it on your own. You'd rather spend time in a room without windows reading the manual when you could just go to them and have them recite it for you in a much better way, but they're assholes, so you don't want to deal with them. Well, to me, all these concepts that are out there that I want to learn more about, unfortunately, I've had the displeasure of meeting people that do not convey the information very reasonably. And so because of that, I don't want to talk to them about it because I feel like they're browbeating me or judging me or something. But then my father-in-law, now I call him father-in-law, just like I call you father. I'll tell you what, I'll call you father. I'll call you father Wambam, but you got to call me grandfather falsetto. Right? So I got, I'm like a, I'm like a dragon. I've got that wisdom. Right? Denied. Damn it. I'll come up with something. Can you call me auntie? All right, fine. But he, he's definitely a scientific, he's a mechanical engineer retired, but he has an engineer brain, but he does have faith. But what I like about him 
is that he's able to explain things in a non-judgmental kind of open form way where you can be wrong, but he doesn't make you feel like an asshole for being wrong. I actually give him audience. And I, and so we were having this conversation when I spent some time with him and I was giving him my whole laundry list of all the doubts and concerns that I had about, I said, some people are super religious because they're curious and they have questions and they don't feel that science has been able to address those questions um, appropriately or sufficiently. So what do they do? They turn to belief. And I said, I said, look how far we've come in just a short amount of time, like just how much technology we've created since the industrial revolution. It's been a couple hundred years and we have all this technology. We have all these answers now that we didn't have before. Why don't you just give civilization a little more time? Give us another couple, like maybe 10,000 more years. And maybe all these things that right now we can't explain, we'll be able to explain then. He said something like, okay, I see where you're coming from. And that sounds good. But then he would always hit me with the quintessential question, which is, but where did, where did we come from? Like, where did Earth come from? Like, really, where did... And I said, oh, the Big Bang Theory. He's like, yeah, yeah, the Big Bang Theory. But, like, where did the galaxy come from? And I'm like, bro, I can't even solve pre-calculus. And you're asking me shit like this? You're asking the wrong guy. I don't know. If we're saying that somebody made it, then that means that something had to make all the little teeny tiny things, too. So, like, why the fuck do we have ants? Like, the ants that serve the only function of fucking the queen and then biting human feet. Why? Why do we have those fuckers? So, you know, the, the questions are endless. But I'll tell you, man, what I really think I think it's almost like a cruel joke because I think that I believe that humans were given the gift of enough intelligence to have questions and to ask good questions. But I don't think that we have most of us, the vast majority of us, I don't think we have the intelligence to truly understand. It's kind of a, a running cruelty because it's like my friend who went to, he was in the Marines and he was talking about Camp Pendleton in, in California. And he said, man, it sucked. He's like, cause there you are doing all this Marine grunt training shit and you can see the airport. You can see these beautiful people getting off the plane, hugging their loved ones. It's just over there, the tarmac, and we're stuck here. So he said that that was even worse than if they were just somewhere out in the middle of the woods where they never had to see civilization. They could just shut it off. But it was like kind of a torture, right? Where he's like constantly having to be reminded of the fact that he could be hugging one of these hotties that just got off the plane, but he can't. He's going to be bunking after 15 hours of like, you know, calisthenics and going on like missions and shit, like practice missions. So I don't know. Sometimes I think it's a cool joke. Like we, we have, we have enough intellect to ask questions, but we, we're never going to know the answers kind of thing. I agree. Well, lay it on us, wham bam. All right. So you were talking about like we're able to have these scientific advances and question really why we're here and all that stuff. Well, just kind of like a little comedic jab at misinterpreting that whole scenario. There was a and it's called Machinima because it is like a TV show derived from using clips from video games or using it to act out from video games. And the first company to ever really do this at a grand scale and get a huge following was a company by the name of Rooster Teeth, which actually started here in Austin, Texas. And they did a show called Red vs. Blue using Halo, the video game. And they're still making content to this day uh, as long as Halo's been out. And they started with the very original Halo 1, Combat Evolved. So the very first episode, it's just funny, you, just, you trigger to memory two characters that are discussing and opening the entire series, one by the name of Simmons, one by the name of Griff. Simmons starts off and he's like, hey, and Griff answers, yeah? He goes, so Simmons asked the great question, do you ever wonder why we're here? And Griff goes, well, it's one of life's great mysteries, isn't it? Why are we here? I mean, are we the product of some cosmic coincidence? Or is there really a God watching everything, you know, with a plan for us and stuff? I don't know, man, but it keeps me up at night. And then they stare at each other for a minute. And Simmons is like, what? I mean, why are we out here in this canyon? And Griff's like, oh, my bad. And Simmons is like, what was all that stuff about God, Griff? 
Uh, nothing. Simmons, you want to talk about it? No. You sure? I mean, seriously, why are we out here? As far as I can tell, it's just a box canyon in the middle of nowhere. The only reason that we set up a red base here is because they have a blue base over there, and the only reason they have a blue base over there is because we have a red base over here. Griff goes, well, yeah, that's because we're fighting each other. And Simmons goes, no. Even if we were to pull out today, they would come and take our base. They would now have two bases in the middle of a box canyon. whoop de fucking do And that's just kind of the, <laughs> the deal. Misinterpretation <laughs> of the question, but the point he drives home is, even though we're at odds here in this canyon that nobody fucking cares about, if we were to leave, these guys would take over, and now they have two. Who cares? Who cares? Who fucking cares? I remember having a conversation with Timmy Taco and, Lam- and, and Lambro, both of them. And it was the idea that ignorance is bliss. The question is, would you rather be dumb and content? Or would you rather be eh, borderline brilliant and borderline miserable? Those are the two options. And, you know, at first, you know, like when you're a kid, you probably would just say, oh, well, I want to be dumb and happy. But then you get older. I don't know, man. I think I'd rather be dumb and happy. I think that's the bottom line. Because I'm someone who thinks, and I think a lot, and I think too much, and I don't know that it does me a lot of good. I really don't. I agree. I I find myself contemplating questions or things that I can't control, right? And that drives the anxiety. Yes. Other issues. Yes. Right? And you think back to it, man. Like, Growing up and becoming an adult is probably the biggest lie we were ever told. Like, yeah, you want to grow up. You want to be an adult. You want to be able to do No, screw that shit. I want to go back to where, like, I'd get home from school and mom had made, like, mac and cheese and chicken nuggies. And I got to sit down in front of the TV and watch the afternoon airing of Goosebumps on the TV and not have a goddamn care in the world. And now I got to get home and worry about, like, did I pay my electric bill? Is your <laughs> microphone working on your goddamn is the, podcast? Is your goddamn microphone working? Is it working falsetto? And you know what? I don't give a shit if that makes me sound immature or sophomoric or whatever. I'm with you. I remember for me, man, it was the summers, hot Houston. I go to the the pool in the summer about nine in the morning, stay there all fucking day. Mm -hmm. Lifeguards, at least in my recollection, were hot. Um, And I don't just mean hot, like like, simmering, simmering, simmering in the sun. But I mean, they were like good looking. They were about two to three years older. And so, yeah, it was Houston. This is a mixed bag. This one lifeguard, Cheryl, she was half Japanese, half white. Talked about her very recently on a, on yeah, a session. Yeah. We used to play a game called the line game where there were, you know, it was it was a five-lane swimming pool. And there were those three black kind of waxy lines that were at the bottom of the pool to, to differentiate the lanes. So as long as you were on one of those, you were safe. But you'd have to get to the other side of the pool. And anytime you'd step, you'd step your little foot off that little waxy black line, you'd get tagged. So imagine getting wrestled by a couple of older, hotter lifeguards. Like in, um, you know, the Sandlot. And you get to eat their pizza because the lifeguards order pizza for themselves, but they can't eat it all because they're like 113 pound women. There you go, free pizza. And you know, you felt physically good, right? Like you had energy. You yeah. Didn't have any aches and pains. You could eat um, whatever you wanted, do whatever you wanted. But the thing that I really missed the most about those times of yore was that I felt capable. I felt sociable because I didn't. I didn't give a shit. So I would just go socialize with strangers like it was nothing. And now. I wouldn't even step my foot in a community pool because I'd see syringes and used band-aids just floating around. Why the fuck is there always a band-aid recently attached to an open wound floating in the water of a swimming pool? Who the fuck goes into the pool with a band-aid on? Are you fucking kidding me? Go home. Take that shit no, home. That way you don't bleed in the pool. I don't know. Did you ever... So, so yeah, you and you already re- you referenced Sandlot before I said you bastard. It's just, it's did you ever long and good. Did you, did you, yeah, did you ever pull a squints? Huh? 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 No, huh? but I did... It's it's not quite going to apply, but remember Jersey Shore? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I jumped on the grenade, right? 
Well, in this case, I jumped on my own grenade because there was this lifeguard. I think her name was uh, Christy or Christine. And I thought she was just banging. And so I fell intentionally. And she's the one that went to get the medicine kit. So she's like lathering me up with like, you know, the iodine and the gauze on like three different areas where I was bleeding. I'm telling you, man, I was fucked up, but like she You're was caught, so, you, you actually made yourself bleed. I grenaded myself. <laughs> I, I, I threw a grenade up in the air and I caught it in my mouth just to get attention from a lifeguard that I liked. <laughs> the funny thing is, I was like, they, they'd actually entertain me, but I was never going to want to date with them, right? Because I was like three yeah. years younger. Yeah, yeah, and like, you know, they drove there in like some old Jeep, but I like rode up there on my bicycle. When I was younger, I had more energy. I was more curious and I would approach mm-hmm. anyone. I had that confidence or just maybe lack of common sense, but either way. And now I'm more guarded. I've been told probably six times that people think I'm in the, I'm like either active military or I'm, I was once in the military. And I asked them, I'm like, why do you think that? Like, well, you know, just the way you, the way you walk, the way you carry yourself, you know, like, like you're wounded. I'm like, what the, what the fuck? Like, I don't have a limp. There is a certain demeanor that certain, you know, classifications have just their way of, I don't know how they carry themselves, but it's, I struggle, man, though. I struggle because I try to make sense out of things that are nonsensical. So for example, I have a lot of respect for our constitution, right? So I'm looking at our constitution and you know that our country was founded on religion and it, you know, it came, a lot of it came from English common law and things like that. Even our fucking constitution, which is a pretty goddamn good document. It's architects and authors. They were devout believers in God. It has executed 27 amendments in under 232 years. Mm-hmm. And the first 10 amendments were immediate and non-fucking negotiable. They wanted more in the Bill of Rights, but they settled on 10. The problem though is, I get that. But the Bible, it doesn't really change. You have the Old Testament, yes, and then you have the New Testament. But man, I highly recommend, I mean, it's an eight-hour investment, and it's not something you can listen to while you're eating fucking, what do they call those, ants on a log, where you put uh, peanut butter on celery sticks, and then you put raisins on top of the peanut butter. But you really have to pay attention. It's kind of a deep dive thing, but there's an eight-hour, it's four two-hour arguments in, in a professional debate forum between Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson. And mm. man, they spend eight hours at this college trying to figure out, is there God? Is there not God? What is truth? What does it all mean? And dude, it is a fucking phenomenal watch. But of okay. course, Jordan Peterson, you know, he's fundamentally, he's a believer in God and he's, he's yeah. spiritual and everything. Well, Sam Harris, he was bringing up some really good points to the, to the antithesis of Jordan Peterson's approach. And he was like, a lot of these religious texts, like especially like the Quran, you know, there are passages in there that tell you that you're supposed to have slaves, like you're supposed to have sex slaves. And this has not been changed. It has not been omitted. Also, though, we know that from religious texts, it's not like a cafeteria Christian where you can just pick what you're going to believe and then discard the rest. It's all or nothing. Like it's an yeah. all or nothing document. If you start a new job at Umbrella or whatever, of course, they probably take like blood and plasma from you to use against you later. But More than that. <laughs> But like they give you the handbook or they give you the rules of, you know, decorum or they give you the, uh, what do they call the best practices or whatever the fuck they call it. You can't just say, all right, I'm good on two and six, but seven and 11, ha <laughs> ha I ain't doing that shit. And they're like, oh, cool. Well, we'll just prorate your pay. No problem. No, you either accept the document or you don't accept the document unless you can present like a medical reason or something to the, to the contrary, but it's all or nothing. So to me, like people like, okay, but it's all or nothing. And this is the text that you have. And you know, when it says that you can basically treat your kids however you want or something to that effect. That's dangerous because if people interpret things literally, which you know a lot of people do, mm-hmm. then now you have kind of a recipe for trouble. So I would say that just like college isn't for everyone, just like living a normal rule following life isn't for everyone. I don't think that everyone is is equipped to really handle 
the ammunition that's in the Bible. I don't think they're prepared for it, mentally or emotionally or, or any number of things. But I don't think people talk like that. They're just like, oh, it's for everyone. You know, it's, it's available to all. And it's like, ah, but some people might, they might get the wrong idea. You know, they might need a little mm-hmm. bit of direction. I try to approach things cautiously. I'm, I'm with you on that. Like we could go a little bit more modern and I'll go to one of my, my favorite go-tos for references, but Jocko and Leif Babin's book, Extreme Ownership. It's what it is. It's literally the title is Extreme Ownership. <laughs> Everything you do is all the way down to, well, I mean, we've talked about it, right? Like, you, one of your episodes got me thinking about ownership just a little bit differently. It's more of a rentership, right? And I, and I like that. But extreme ownership, it's all you, period. It doesn't matter up, down, sideways in the chain of command. If you're going to be a great leader, it's extreme ownership. You take it all, right? It doesn't matter who did it. You take ownership. It's your fault. Well, people were taking that so literally all the way down to the well, but then they're not doing it, but it's still my fault and blah, blah, blah. So he wrote another book a few years later called The Dichotomy of Leadership. And it is literally an unofficial sequel to extreme ownership. It covers the same content that extreme ownership does, but balances it back out. It's like, okay, yes, here's all of these things that we've told you to do in our first book, but you also have to remember to look at it from this perspective and really bring some balance. Like a great example is as a leader, as a manager, can you be friendly or friends with your direct reports? Yes. Case by case basis, right? And how far does that go? You Mm -hmm. have to have a balance because if you become too friendly with them, now, how do you hold them accountable? Sure. Or when you have to have that tough conversation, are they going to take it seriously? Or are they just going to fall back into that you know, repetitive behavior? It's just funny that you, you, know, you mentioned the, the Constitution, the amendments of the Pillar Rights, these books that people are using for leadership development, and they're writing other books to kind of complement or rebalance some things that they've told before. We hear this in podcasts a lot, some of the folks that me and you listen to, but the Bible or any other holy text has never really been changed. No, they don't change it. And of course, that was just one issue. But like, you know, Sam Harris was talking about, I love Jordan Peterson. I mean, I think he's brilliant. I I think he's confident. He's one of the most masculine intellectuals that I've seen in the last like 15 years. Yeah. He's sitting up there with Joe Rogan, who can kick him in the throat and just rip Jordan Peterson's his Canadian head off. Or he's sitting there with Jocko Wilnick, who could just shake his hand and probably make him have like an aneurysm. But Jordan Peterson does not back down an inch. He does not give in. He is tough. He's dealt with a lot of medical issues in his real life. Mm-hmm. Like he was like he had to go down to basically a, a diet of meat and vegetables only, and now it's just meat. All he eats is meat, and that's for health. You hear he talk about Jocko and extreme ownership. It's like he had the Old Testament, but then Jocko came out. He's like he's a more loving Jocko now. He's a more forgiving Jocko. <laughs> he's a more. He's, I guess here's the thing though. Like if you're sitting there and you're in a perpetual state of hating yourself or blaming yourself, it's probably going to be difficult for you to move forward. Right? You're not going to be able to get out of that rut. So I, I agree that it's probably best because a healthy soldier is a fighting soldier. Now, if you're, if you're wounded, you know, and you're, you're having shell shock or whatever the fuck, you're not going to be as effective on the field. So I agree. I think it's something that I, I guess I just always come back to fairness. The problem with fairness is that it's, it's difficult to qualify. You know, it's conditional, like depending on how you're looking at it. But like I said, I, I just like dealing with reasonable people. And you know how you know if someone's reasonable? If they tell you something, you know, on its face, they say something and you, you think to yourself, mm, I don't think that's correct. I think they just said something that's false. Have you ever had someone that you were having a, a conversation with reach out to you after the fact, they fact checked themselves, and then they reached out to you and they said, oh yeah, remember that thing we were talking about? I was fucking wrong. I don't, I don't know why I said that. Has anyone ever done that to you? Probably outside of myself and you. I, th- I know we do that too for each other. Outside of that relationship, no. We do. And that's good yeah. that we do that because I think that is an example of a way of putting your own pride, which of course mm-hmm. the Bible would shit all over pride and say, fuck you. Mm-hmm. But... You know, and I like you, you use ego. I like I like to use ego pride, but the idea is that 
that takes courage to reach out to someone who wasn't going to call you out on it. In fact, they probably already forgotten about it because, like you're saying, Christmas traffic. Oh yeah, working for Umbrella. Who has the time? It's it's in the past. But man, I'll say I, I, this is what I challenge you, audience, allies, allies. The next time that you're having a conversation with someone, if you say something, and maybe the person challenges you, or maybe they don't, but if you say something that you are starting to second guess yourself, I challenge you to look into it, fact check yourself, and if you were fucking wrong. Reach out to that person and say, hey, remember that thing we were talking about? They'll be like, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to order Wendy's right now. You say to them, yes, I was wrong. I just want to let you know I was wrong. And I'm trying to be uh, intentional and proper and correct and accurate in the things I say. But don't do this, though, okay? If you get in an argument with somebody, don't then fact check it and then reach out to them and say, hey, you were wrong, you fuckface. Uh, yeah, don't do that. That's not what we're going for here. That's not. We've talked about this before. Ego will, ego will rise and match ego. Like, so it's, it's all about that tactful approach. I, I like you said it. You said it great. Was I, I'd be able to, hey man, you know, I, I checked this, I checked this thing and, and the wings, the wings on the froth tipped eagle are actually green and not purple, man. That was, that, that was my bad, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, but see, in, in the day we live in today, they'd be like, well, I'm, I'm colorblind. Like, you can't, I mean, it's, it's, it's an exactly. impairment. You can't blame me for making that mistake. Okay. So, no, real life. So we took a team holiday photo. Uh, <laughs> God, Doug and Old Willie, when they hear this, are going to laugh their asses off. We were told to wear a certain color shirt. So that we would all look the same for this photo. And Doug was joking that he was like, man, I almost just didn't do it or whatever. And I was like, hey, man, what's to say that you showed up in like a pink shirt and completely wrong color? And then they approach you and like, dude, you, know, you wore the wrong color. And he'd be like, how dare you assume this is this is blue. Like, <laughs> That's good. And you and make it until like, you make it. You're so confident. They start doubting themselves. But that's that immediate. Obviously, we conformed. And did it for the team photo, right? We're a team. But the funny part is that we're just like, man, it's it's stupid. But if we wanted to get away from it, we are already thinking, well, we could throw the well, but I'm colorblind. Like, it's just, <laughs> as humans, <laughs> as corporeal beings, that is an immediate, okay, well, how do I not take mentorship of the fact and put the blame on something else? The blame game has been around as long as I can remember. Oh, yeah. And the problem yeah. is, is that yeah. it's, Nobody wins Pain. with the bane because no matter Pain, what, where is your brother? Oh, but dude, that now we're getting hardcore because I know of all the things you could ever say to this being that you assume has the power to extinguish every living organism on Earth in the same amount of time it takes you to clean up after yourselves after a dirty nacho. And I imagine it was probably like in that Simpsons episode, you know, where the Earth was flooding. I imagine that there was a flash in the clouds and a booming thunderous voice, and it says, "Where out thou, brother Cain?" And he says, "Am I my brother's keeper?" And I'm like, "Oh shit." That's like the same thing in Eight Mile when Eminem, you know, tells up whoever the fuck that was, Dr. Dre, Flavor Flav, I don't even know, but he was rapping against somebody. And then the whole crowd just puts their hands over their mouth like, oh, Christ. It was Anthony Mackie, the, the Falcon in the Marvel. Yeah, yeah. Since you know. Yeah. <laughs> People forget that was one of the first movies he was in. Oh, right. And I remember his dumbfounded expression when he got told. Yes. I was like, shit. <laughs> but I imagine that was probably, God probably had to do like a double take and be like, what, what the fuck did you just say to me? But that was good. That was one of my favorite passages. He wasn't currently throwing lightning bolts yet, like, or that would have happened. Oh, man. And then, and then I remember having that conversation, you know, with the father-in-law about Adam and Eve. And it was just funny how it was like, because you talked about, you talked about Adam and Eve not too long ago. There's actually a lot going on with Adam and Eve, but it's like the one hand is like, you have this one thing you can't have, so it's unattainable. So what do you do? That's what you want. You know, it's, it's a promise of something more, like you'll have this understanding. Actually, like I, we were talking about the Spill Canvas song just now, talking about that this gift that you get that can unlock all these doors. That's what they were promised, right? Absolutely. From, from, the, Absolutely. from, the, from the serpent. The, ser- the serpiente. I like how they say it in Spanish. Serpent. But I'm talking about Adam and Eve with my father-in-law, and I'm like, you know, from, from what I've seen in the little books, I think Eve was probably pretty hot. And he's like, are you kidding me? 
she's gorgeous and she's completely naked and i'm like wait i mean didn't they have like little flat like little petals over their privates and he's like no no no, that's just for the kid books but because there was no shame they didn't know that they didn't know they were naked right that was just the normal i have no yes. shame i have no shame myself right now you know what i'm saying if you know what i mean when have you ever question <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's real man like eat this fruit whatever it is right and you will therefore gain the knowledge that god has that's a pretty damn strong temptation and if i lose the call i don't know if you saw that that was my lights flickering oh i did um jesus uh, i think Lord. he might have just i think he might have just pissed off the almighty he's like i'm dying right now um, <laughs> he's like he's like where are you going with this where are you going what with is this going on? I'm back check you boy Dude, I'm freaking out right now. Um, you just got galactically fact checked. Oh, oh. Yeah, all, all the cosmic power of the universe. That's a strong ass temptation. You're like, wow, well, he he made me. He made all these animals. He made this this place that I'm in. That would be really cool to be just like him. That right there was probably enough of the temptation. Unbelievable. That realization hit me when I was doing that episode. That's like the first recorded sin in the Holy Bible was the desire to have something that somebody else wants. I believe the real sin is that Eve was not given a bar of soap. That, that is original sin, baby. I, I mean, can we, can we get a little Irish spring down here, big guy? Thanks. A little Irish spring bar wouldn't kill you. Excellent. Attention, audience. We have a, uh, 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 uh. We were experiencing technical difficulties, and now we have resumed the podcast. There I was. Let me tell you, okay, I'm going to tell you what happened from my point of view, and then you can tell me what happened from your okay. perspective. Okay. I'm sitting here, and I'm telling the best goddamn joke ever about Adam and Eve, and we were talking about original sin, and I said, the sin was not disobeying the Lord and cuddling up to Satan. That was not the sin. The first sin was not giving Eve a bar of soap. It's like they're looking up at the sky and they're like, hey, big guy, can you just toss us down a, a bar of Irish spring? Is that too much to ask? And I thought it was a good fucking joke. And I'm looking at you and I see your face and it does not change. You react not once <laughs> and your eyes are not even blinking. And for about three seconds, I'm thinking, have I lost my falsetto mojo? Am I no longer funny? And then I thought, no, that was a good joke. Irish fucking spring. I think he might have a problem. And then I realized you live where it gets cold and they don't have proper preparations for cold weather. So then I was thinking, maybe the grid is strained, and maybe Austin is fucked. And that's all I know. And that's yeah. why, Podians, we, we kind of, you hear me going, is this thing on? Yeah, that was funny. Yeah. So that, that's what happened on my side. Dude. What about your side? What happened? Okay, so my side, like, we, we, we even alluded, they'll, they'll remember, like, I was like, oh, man, God's fixing to smite me or something. The, the lights have been flickering. And all of a sudden, it just goes, boom, dark. The funny thing is, is my camera, microphone, and laptop, you know, they, they immediately switched to battery power. So... I can see myself because my camera goes to like nightish mode, so I can see myself. I can still hear myself, and I think like the signal lag lagged a little bit, so I could still hear you talking, and then it cut off. And so I was like, "Hey, dude, I think I lost power." And then I'm like, "Why did I say that?" Because of course I fucking lost power. And then I check my phone because, uh, believe it or not, my boss actually lives like two miles away from me across the highway, and she's like texting me. She's like, "Did you just lose power?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I lost power." She looks it up on the map. We are the only two neighborhoods in this side of town that lost fucking power. That's it. <laughs> Everybody else around us, like I can see lights all around us, but for some fucking reason, she was doing something unchristian like, and I was talking about things unchristian like, and thus that's why we lost power. So there it is. I, I, I fucked up. I, I had an opportunity. I should have told you I just lost my power. Damn it. <laughs> and then it'd be like, okay, East Coast, Central Coast. This was all explained in Die Hard 4, bro. First, they hit the power <laughs> grid and they kill communications and then transportation. Like, fucked. <laughs> But no, it is a simple fact is what we've learned from this audience is if you're going to talk religion, 
don't start your chats with the Garden of Eden because someone may not like that and you may lose all electricity. But hey, it's okay. It's hard because much like guilt, the problem with guilt is it's negative value. Like you feel bad about something and I would always bring that up to my parents. I would say, well, what's the point of feeling bad about something? Okay, let's say you did something wrong, you learned your lesson. Okay, fine. So that's knowledge. You took away a knowledge component. But if you feel bad about something, you feel guilty about something, all it does is make you feel bad. It's not giving you energy. It's not giving you power. It's not educating you in any way. It's just like a recurring grief that hangs over you like a thick cloud. I guess the way I chose to live my life was, you know, I know I'm not going to be perfect. I know I'm going to fuck up. And there's some vices that I like to have. Like I like to drink alcohol. I don't care if it makes the spirits come alive in me, as I alluded to at the beginning <laughs> chapter of this uh, intro. But I know that I'm going to do bad things. So instead of feeling guilty about it, I'm just going to do the bad things, but I'm going to try to be a decent person. So I would say if you wake up every day and you're thinking, okay, well, I'm at least not going to try to make anyone miserable today. That's pretty good. If you can think to yourself, I'm just going to leave people alone and I'm just going to do my own thing and not ruffle any feathers. That's pretty good too. If you really want to go the extra mile, I'd say maybe you think to yourself, I'm not going to be extremely forthcoming and deliberate, but I'm going to look for opportunities to try to help someone, even if it's a small help. And what I think happens is if you do that, and that's a reasonable philosophy, I think what you'll find is that more often than not, people will take that goodwill and you'll feel good. And then it'll become like a drug, right? Like addicting. Helping people apparently is addicting. That's the only explanation I can understand about why your sister does what she does. If helping people was not addicting, unless the pay is just like, you know, $50 million a week or something. I, I cannot imagine that gift that you got from old Willie. I've had time to think about that since the Lord smited Wham Bam's power. Jeez, right. <laughs> and I'll tell you, man, like it's little things like that. That is a good gesture. And you're going to carry that thing with you. Like, if, uh, see, before I asked Wham Bam the question a long time ago, I said, if your apartment's on fire, what do you grab? Well, guess what? Guess what just got elevated to the top of the list? I'm grabbing the damn cup. <laughs> so, and I can relate because I've gotten some gifts. I mean, I have a fucking shrine of these little action figures and posters in my media room. And about 53 items in this are from Wham Bam. What he doesn't know is that six items were gifted. The rest were stolen. <laughs> you know, I was wondering where that one box went when I moved. <laughs> I, figured get, I, I figured to get lost in the shuffle. Whatever. <laughs> oh, man. So that's probably the last thing that somebody did for you that was just mind-numbingly awesome, right? Can you think of the last thing that you did for someone that just really made you feel good? Like the way that a Christian feels probably when they convert a new member to their flock. Can you think of something that you've done recently, fairly recently, that you really know that you help someone out? I haven't gotten too much feedback, and I've got a couple new listeners uh, that are just starting Audible Ally and pointing them to Kimahawk as well. Getting feedback and hearing the things like, um, I'll, I'll really listen to Lesson 8 like immediately today and, and was already sending me feedback and stuff, but you've alluded to this, I've alluded to this. What we're doing here on our platforms and for similar but different reasons, right? A, a catalytic event in our life took place that has made us want to share these experiences and, and pass on different lessons, so to speak. One person, just by sharing that experience, telling your story, getting it out there, one person that hears that and it changes their life for the better, that's all it takes for me to just keep doing. And if I get to the point where I no longer hear that feedback, then that's probably when it's time to, to hang, hang up the mic, so to speak. I, I strongly believe, I was telling one of the new listeners today, that I strongly believe that what I'm doing right now is what I'm meant to be doing. 
by putting out some of this content and some of these lessons. It just it needs to be out there in my format. We talked about being able to possibly hear it a different way or hear about religion a different way. And maybe that would have been something that clicked it. Oh, yeah, that's the way I was. Uh, that's how I was waiting to hear it. That's exactly the way me and you are presenting this information now, right? It's just a different way. A lot of these concepts aren't new. In fact, the majority of them aren't new. We're just presenting it from our perspective. I mean, you are not, you know, subject matter experts in a lot of this material at all. A lot of it is a lot of manual research or feedback or survey, like ask, like you ask me questions all the time, ask you questions. Like right now, what I'm doing, throwing this out into the universe forever, as long as the internet exists, that's me getting it out right now. That's what's making me feel good. Am I wrong to assume that Oh, Willie got something specific from that chapter that motivated him to give you that. So he, so maybe he, he himself or he knew someone, something struck a chord with him on that. Those are like the hidden treats where, you know, you never really know what nerves are going to hit and how lasting the reverberations can be. Well, me and you talked a little bit more after, especially after there's some of that lesson, that episode that you didn't even know about me and, and me, he talked a lot and me and you chatted back and forth a little bit after that. And it, it just circles back to that of me. You know, there's, there's a part of me that's like, look, if I went through this, if I get out and share my story, what lasting impression is that to someone who is listening? There's someone out there. Someone is, someone's going to hear it for the first time. Someone I don't even know. Maybe it is a friend or family member. And me telling that story changes them or helps them think about it in a different way. And that saves them. Perfect. I did what I was meant to do at that point. So I don't know if you've noticed this phenomenon or not yet. But in keeping with the theme of this episode, I'm going to call it The Mic Works in Mysterious Ways. So there are two observations that I've made about the microphone. So for any of you that are interested in podcasting or that you are somehow involved in podcasting, maybe you've experienced this as well. But one, I'm a pretty good listener. I can be a better listener. I suffer from that gnawing, teething, recurring issue of when somebody's talking now, it's 50-50. Sometimes think people are talking about things that I'm just riveted by, so I, I can't even sustain the thought. Oh, I'm totally in the zone. But there's other times when somebody's talking, and I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next. It's a problem. That's the difference between active listening and, well, we'll just say shitty listening. What I've found, man, and I know that you've had the medic on, when you're listening to a recording that you've previously recorded, and you're listening to your guest, you are really listening intently when you're doing your editing. Because you have yeah. nothing to think about. You're having to really focus on what's being said and what you're going to cut out. But you're not thinking about what you're going to say because you're not talking. You're just listening. So I found that sometimes I'm interviewing somebody and in the moment I hear about 60% of it. But then when I go back and I edit it, I hear 100% of it and there's some like new revelations that come through. Holy shit. They were allergic to vegetables, you know? <laughs> but that's a, that's a big thing. So like if you, if you, I would say if someone has a real problem being an active listener, start recording your conversations with people not not against their will or like you know yeah yeah <laughs> like but if you sit there and you edit two or three hours of a dialogue that you have with someone you're going to learn a lot about that person it forces 100%. you to listen and then the second thing that makes the mic work in mysterious ways is that you think that because there's the microphone and you're going to be potentially heard for the end of time eons or you're going to be heard by hundreds of thousands of people i mean it's it's a possibility it's definitely more of a possibility now than it was when we were just talking, playing a video mm -hmm. game together or something. But yeah. even though you know that there's a risk associated with it and that there's a wide audience that could potentially grab hold of the material, there's something I find about the mic that forces you to open up. It's weird. Like I you, agree. you think that you'd like hide away in the corner like that vampire after Mr. Winchester shoots some bullet holes through the window 
in a way you start talking and you kind of get into a rhythm and then you just start revealing shit. And maybe that was always the point. Maybe that's these podcasters that have really seen a skyrocket in their, their own success. Maybe they just kind of let it go, you know, like Meryl, swing away Meryl and a science. Swing it away. And so I'm thinking that maybe in that way, I think it might be cathartic, maybe healing, because otherwise you would maybe never talk about it. 100%. I, I actually explained that to one of the new listeners I got on today who's, who's going to start. I told him, I go, this entire process for me has been cathartic. This is <laughs> my therapy was a microphone. That's what it was, right? Like I got, I got a microphone and started talking into it and that's now my therapy. It's forced a lot of self-reflection. So you, you mentioned I've only had one guest on, obviously I'm going to have more like listening to your guest and hearing a hundred percent. And I bet you've had this too. When you're editing your own content, you hear something that you said and was like, oh, wow. Okay. Hold on just a minute. What? That's what I meant here. Like sometimes you write something down on your, in your notepad or, or whatever, and then you go to say it and you're like, man, that was kind of a cool sentence or a great segue into the next part of the, of the lesson. And then you go to listen as, as you're putting it all together and you're just like, oh, wow. It's just interesting. As I try to cultivate this material, I've actually seen myself backing more off of like a superscript, <laughs> so to speak, and more of like maybe just a line item here or there leading me to the next point just to kind of see how much more natural I get as, I, as I'm speaking, how much more will I reveal, how much more will I just start talking? Um, because for me, it's the microphone and this black wall in front of me. <laughs> I think that's all I've got. I don't, I don't have my Conor McGregor poster in front of me yet. So <laughs> I never lose. I either win or I learn. Well, so for, as far as advice goes, um, what has proven to work for me, I think, go ahead and doctor your intro and have it be really fancy and polished and have a strong prepared conclusion. And then have, you know, bullet points. Because after you get through your intro that you've read very passionately and confidently, that'll crank up your confidence for the remainder of the episode. And then if you feel yourself floundering, you can always jump onto that strong-ass conclusion that you've already prepared and hang on to it for dear life. I think that works pretty well. Um, the idea of going off script completely, I agree, it's probably very raw and unadulterated. But man, the editing. The editing would be a goddamn nightmare. Because... Like anyone, I use filler words. I use those retarded expressions. Oh, duh, uh, you, are you talking to fuck, fuck me? Uh, what, what the? That's a lot of editing and that's a lot of work for yourself. And I know what Jocko would say to that shit. He would say, Marine, get your shit together. All right. This ain't no fucking rodeo show. So I think Dude, it's just, it's crazy to me. Like, cause you can watch his, you can watch all their podcasts and stuff like on YouTube and stuff. But like, it's just crazy that they'll have like these four or five hour freaking podcasts that are not edited. It's like, they're just so well spoken and it hurts me. I'm like, okay, I'll get there. I'm six episodes in or eight episodes in. You're 50 episodes in. He's almost 400. Like, Oh, well, and you know, that's a whole other thing though. I mean, like, so one, you're talking about someone who's got to have supreme confidence just because of all they've accomplished. And, and then they shot out for crying out loud. <laughs> right. And then they've been doing it for years. Yeah. So, you know, you do something long enough. I mean, even if what you, even if what you do is sucking, if you do it long enough, you're going to be so good at sucking. Okay. Wait, that, that has is a connotation. That, is, that, is that how, is that how the company Hoover started? <laughs> that has a dumb, dumb connotation to it. And I don't like it. Christmas is around the corner. I enjoy being around some cherished family members, the whole religious aspect to it. Who knows? I'll tell you this. The one thing I know for sure is I'm always like knee jerk. It's in my DNA. It's, it's such a part of me that I couldn't even begin some sort of separation process from it. It's almost like part of my identity. But as soon as someone starts telling me how things are, I immediately perk up with a cautionary air. Yo, you're going to tell me how things are. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, wow me. 
and everything they say, instead of just taking it at face value, I'm starting to think about plot holes and inconsistencies. If somebody comes at me and says something reasonable, like, hey, Paul said to check this out. You know, I've been going to church since I was seven, so it makes sense to me. But I can understand that everybody's different. You know, you've had a different upbringing. You've had different experiences. It works for me. It may not work for you. And that's perfectly fine. But let me tell you what it's done for me. But not done in a condescending way. Because you know how parents can be where they're like, oh, oh, yeah. You know what? Do it your way. I'm sure your way will work. And what they're really saying is, look, you fuck stick. All right. I already told you how to do it. And now you're just wasting time. So you can't be condescending about it. Here's something, man. Here's a little, here's a little tip. And I don't know if it's, it's probably grounded in religion, but you know what will make life a lot sweeter and richer and better for yourself, for anyone? Don't hang out with shitty people. How about that? Agreed. If you, 100% agreed. You give people a chance, but the moment that they, they don't pass the olfactory sense or you, you can, you're, you get keen on their bullshit, you know, wafting in your direction, shut them down and, and walk away from them. Don't entertain shitty people. Now, if you like shitty people and you're a shitty person yourself, then you're going to gravitate mm. towards each other like solar heavenly planetary bodies. But if you so, cut out the shitty people, your life will be easier and better. If I may give a slight teaser of Lesson 8. I talk about four different groups of people that I have experienced in my life. Is this finding the value? It, when it comes to finding some value. Okay, got it. I talk about it, and these are all self-titled. Like I, I named these groups. These aren't anything I... These are just what I see them as. So the first group is the helpers. Those are like your impasse. Those people who, when you meet other folks, you know if you're going to get along with them or not pretty damn quickly. Then there's the clingers. These people won't let go. They're going to hold on to a relationship until it, you can get... We've talked about gaslighting and, and poisoning relationships and things like that. These are those folks, right? They don't know when to let go. Then you have the skeptics. Those are those ones who've been burned way too many times before, right? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I actually said the helpers, but those are the people who are always helping other people. No matter what, could be a stranger, they'll give the shirt off their back. For the people who can feel if they like other people pretty quickly or not, I call those impasse. So you have the impasse who can tell pretty quickly, helpers who are always helping people, the clingers who won't let go, and then the skeptics. And the conclusion I'll draw here, and to, to leave people wanting a little bit more and, and maybe to go listen to this, but that doesn't mean any of those four traits you have individually of each other. They can cross and, and cross the streams, right? Don't do it. Um, like a Venn diagram, it can be overlap. They can absolutely overlap and push and pull, complement, not complement each other, and how that can work into how do you trust people. Pretty interesting that you just said that. Well, yeah, I remember so. talking about trust in a prior episode where, to me, it's a very simple test, but it's, well, normally people will be on the defensive or they'll say something like, my dad would say something like this, like, well, why are you asking me that? Like, guarded, you know, mm -hmm. like Richard Nixon, like, well, why would yeah. I give you that? Could be why do you want to know? Right. Yeah. But if you ask somebody to tell you something where they're giving you something, they're giving you leverage and they do it. If somebody gives yeah. you something that you could potentially use against them, I would say that is not, that is not trust in perpetuity, but it's a good fucking start to establishing mm -hmm. a trust, a trusting relationship. Trust is good. You know, I also think that it's tough because I think a lot of people are kind of in the same boat that I am, maybe that you are, where they don't go to church. Mm -hmm. They don't really think about religion. They don't necessarily live like a Christian lifestyle in the sense that they don't, I guess they're not very intentional with their day-to-day -day actions and constantly keeping a tally of, well, whose life have I made better? You know, what do I need to pay penance for? That kind of thing. But they all say emphatically, like, oh, I believe in God. I think about people that are really devout. 
I don't think it's supposed to be a glamorous life. Like I think about the life of a monk, right? Who has like no possessions, kind of like the Jedi. It's not a good life. The Jedi is not a glamorous lifestyle. You're wearing a robe that's like shitty. It's not even probably like a high thread count. They don't have any grooming. Like they have long hair, long beards. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying like get a fucking razor every once in a while. They have a lightsaber, which is cool, but they don't have money. They don't really have possessions. They're not supposed to have emotional attachments. They're kidnapped from their home, basically, when they're young, before they mm. can really form emotional mm. attachments. That's the life of a Jedi. So when you're mm. growing up, you know, you watch it and you think, man, you know, these Jedis are awesome. They're the good side. I like these guys. But then you wait a little while and you get a little older. And like I told you, usually the, the villain is someone that as a kid, you, um, <laughs> you root against. But as you get older, yep. you start identifying with them. Man, this, this Sith, you know, this dark side, maybe they're onto something because at least they're I mean, of course, that's the other thing, though. It's like, it's like being part of the mafia where you're always having to look over your shoulder, right? So you can either pick like a really podunk lifestyle living in the desert with no possessions, or you can live a lifestyle where you have a shit ton of power, but you will be killed violently. You know, it's just a matter of time. It has to be that way. So these are really good options, you know? I don't think if you're a very devout religious person, I don't think it's supposed to be a fun life. I don't think it's supposed to be glamorous. In fact, I remember I had a college professor that I really had a lot of admiration for, and he said... You know why when you go into a church, there's always a cross, often a crucifix, especially if it's a Catholic church, which you would know, right? Because there's a difference. But with a crucifix, you actually get the body on the cross. It's not just a symbolic cross. He said, you know why that's there? Like, there'll be nothing on the walls. Like, you'll have some stained glass windows or whatever, but there's always these crosses. Do you know what that's for? And then some kid in the corner with like a comb over haircut said, well, to remind you that you're okay because your sins have basically been paid for. He said, no. He takes a drink of his bottle. He's like, get out of here. What, what, are you, what are you, stupid? No, that's not it. I like this professor. He said, no, it's to remind you that life is suffering. That's what life is. It's suffering. And it's reminding you of that. It's a commitment. It's like a real commitment if you want to make it. I think people can talk the talk and they can fake it till they make it. But I think if you really want to live the life of a truly religious person, I think you're probably not going to have a lot of shit. Like you're not going to have a lot of shit to pack up. You're probably going to live a very modest lifestyle because you're you know, most of your time is going to be devoted to your community, to the church, to helping others. If you spend all your time helping others, you probably don't need a lot of shit. Yeah, I was going to say, I want to, I want to kind of go back to the Jedi and Sith analogy real quick and add something in. And, and me and you talked maybe a little bit about this, but nothing has ever been canonized about this. But there is something known as the Grey Jedi. A lot of people allude that Mark Hamill's Luke Skywalker in the sequel series, uh, episodes 7, 8, and 9, is more of a, a Grey Jedi but they have like an unofficial code. Like there's nothing that's ever out there. I've seen a bunch of them, but I just pulled up the one that I've always liked the most. Uh, and I just kind of want to read it because I think it brings some similarities to what you just said. So the great Jedi code, there is no dark side nor a light side. There is only the force. I will do what I must to keep the balance. The balance is what keeps me together. There is no good without evil, but evil must not be allowed to flourish. There is no passion yet emotion, serenity yet peace chaos, yet order. I am the wielder of the flame, the protector of balance. I am the holder of the torch, lighting the way. I am the keeper of the flame, soldier of balance. I am a guardian of balance. I am a great Jedi. Just kind of showing that on the two opposite ends of the spectrum, we since the beginning of this episode to, to now, you have your scientist and then your devout religious. Who's to say that the combination of those two isn't the right answer? Right? We just haven't gone far enough or deep enough to really find out. I remember it being explained. It's called the dream circle. I know I've talked about it, but like ideally, you would be a young, sagacious dragon, basically. You'd be, a, you'd be a 21-year-old who'd had a shit ton of life experiences. You grew up super fast. You're wise. 
like a serpent, but you're still full of humility and kindness like a, like a dove, right? You would be young and you would be physically capable, you would be mentally capable, you would be in your prime from a youthful stature, but you would have this wisdom. And I think those people exist. Anyone that's had to grow up fast, if you grew up in like a broken home, single parent family, <laughs> any of those circumstances, you're experiencing things, having to really look after a younger sibling, like you're their parent, which you may or may not have had experiences like that with medic. These are things that accelerate your, your growing up. It sucks though, because it comes with a price and that price is you lose innocence. Everyone loses innocence or if you're that oblivious and you're really that dumb and happy, then that's great. That really is. But for most of us, I think our innocence is taken piecemeal over time, but everyone's innocence is taken eventually. And it's when you come to the cold, harsh realities of life. Okay, so audience, here's the deal. Man, we had this whole thing all mapped out. We had the schematics. We had the fucking <laughs> blueprints. And then, boom, one little lightning bolt struck just in Bam Pam's little apartment. It, just, it missed me. <laughs> so we're going to do something that they, that they did with the Hunger Games. Where we're going to take one story and we're going to break it up into two just to get a few more seats filled and get a little bit more money. Yeah. So it's going to be part one... Seventh Wednesday, Whiskey Wednesdays with Wham Bam Cam. This was part one. And there's going to be a part dough. Part two, where we're going to have much more to talk about. We're going to talk about, at least on my side of things, I know that I want to talk about incorporating into religion, abortion, Copernicus, Galileo, and a slew of other things. And we're going to talk more mysteries of the mic or the mic moving in mysterious ways. Wham Bam, I'll tell you now that I wish you a merry fucking whatever you want it to be. Be a merry. <laughs> it better be merry. And she better be merry. It better Holy be crap. <laughs> But no, I wish you a happy Christmas, man, because um, you've, had a, you've had a year, you've had a long year, and you've started something that just might save your life. And I started something. I'll tell you one thing, Potty. It's one thing that came out of me starting Chemo Walk Sessions. I didn't know that Wham Bam Cam was going to be so supportive. Now, this isn't a knock to Wham Bam Cam. I just wasn't thinking about it. I was just like trying to get my shit together and trying to get this thing out there. And Wham Bam Cam has been very reliable. He's been very dependable. He's had a lot of great input. And that's why we take the time to meet, no matter how late it is, and no matter how many times the power says, fuck you! <laughs> right. We still take the time to meet. So thank that's you, right. Wham Bam Cam. Thank you, audience. Come both correct and in your respective seat erect for your next auditory window into Whiskey Wednesdays with Wham Bam Cam with your next Whisk Wed session. Don't come a chump with a worn Bible you thump. Don't spread judgment and dump trite rhetoric. Instead, come reasonable, come smart with your logic and reason. You will us stump. As you remain pleasant, not a grump. Hell, you may sway a mind. You may our grind unwind and earn yourself a coveted fist fucking bump. Cheers, audience. Cheers, wham bam. We hold our, our drinks up. Oh yeah, that's a cool fucking cup. Suddenly cooler than my Merry Christmas glass mug, that's for sure. But cheers. So not following cheap or the wiles of Little Bo Peep. But instead, sipping on these Whiskey Wednesdays, with our lordly promises, we keep, stick around, for your next auditory concoction. Whiskey Wednesdays with Wham Bam Cam, 7th Wednesday, Part 2, Falsetto, and Wham Bam Cam, out.